10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And uh, we'll transition into our message part of the service. I do want to remind you uh, just to continue to pray for our church, continue to pray for the remainder of the summer. There are people traveling today, so for travel mercies and safety. And uh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but August snuck up on us and is here. Today is August 1st. I can't even believe how fast this year has progressed. It has gone so, so fast. And uh, so we are, though thankful for life, it's amazing just the older you get. Uh, One of my professors in college one time said, the older you get, the faster your life goes. (laughs) And I thought, well, how does that work? And he said, well, think about it. When you're four years old, you've only lived one-fourth of your life. But when you're 52 years old and you have another year, it's one-fifty-second of your life. And I was like... You are so smart. That's why they pay you the big bucks, because I still don't get it. <laughs> but it does go faster and faster. Um, anyway, First uh, Samuel chapter 10. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to read down verses 1 through 9. Pray for my wife. Uh, she is in Fort Collins, Colorado today at Front Range Baptist Church. She's not preaching, but uh, she is there with my daughter and uh, with her grandkids. Matt and Ashley are going to camp in Nebraska and flew my wife out to babysit Georgia and Peyton and uh, we hope that she survives this week, all right? So we uh, please pray for her, and uh, she uh, is just going to do her level best to uh, run around after Georgia and uh, hopefully pay Peyton to lasso her down and uh, do whatever she needs to. So Peyton gets to be a big girl this week, and uh, we'll look forward to what she has in store for them. First Samuel chapter 10, you'll remember now that Saul is uh, been told by Samuel, hey, and we're going to read just the last verse of chapter 9, God has a special plan for you. And by the way, God has plans for all of us. And sometimes his plans are not what we think. Uh, I think from the text, from the Bible, you can understand that Saul never saw this coming. Uh, Being the first king of Israel was not what he had his sights set on. There was never a uh, an aspiration list in his locker at high school saying, my number one thing in life is I want to be the king of Israel. He was very happy living in a rich home, taking care of his father's sheep. All the things in scripture indicate that. And uh, and yet God had a special plan for him. Uh, what we'll read today, remember, took place at the end of the time of the judges. So Israel has said, we don't want God to be over us. We want a king over us. So we want to be like all the other nations. Remember that? And uh, the problem with wanting to be like everybody else and not who God created us to be. And so we're going to go through the story here this morning. I'm only going to preach two of the points. Uh, the Lord stopped me this morning, doesn't want me to do the third point until next week and make that into its own separate entity. So we'll just do the first two points of the message and the outline and all God's people said, amen. All right, I get it. Even if you don't, you're saying it inside. First Samuel chapter 10, uh, actually chapter 9, look at verse 27. Uh, now, remember, Saul has taken up a sacrifice. He's trying to find his daddy's donkeys at Samuel. At the end of the passage of verse 27, and as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, bid the servant who was with Saul pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin and Zilzah. And they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorrowth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor and There shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, not children, those are goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they'll salute you and give thee two loaves of bread and thou shalt receive of their hands. After that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabard and a pipe and a harp. Before them, and they shall prophesy. Watch verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. And thou shalt prophesy with them. And notice this phrase. And shalt be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee. 
that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. What's he telling him to do? He's saying, look, when this happens, put your hand to it and don't look back. Do your level best to do what God's put in front of you. Verse 8, and thou shalt go down before to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to, burn, to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. Verse 9, and it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. I want to preach to you a message this morning I've entitled, Another Man. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come before you again, Father, we just want to thank you for your love today. We want to say thank you for your sacrifice on Calvary. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying and for resurrecting from the grave. Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Lord, thank you for your grace and for your mercy for our salvation this morning. Lord, this morning, we ask that you would have your way with us. We offer ourselves to you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would have liberty in this place. And God, I yield myself to your spirit, and I ask that you would help me to get out of your way, help me to be used as a vessel. I pray that you would help me to say those things that you would have me to say and withhold from my lips, those things that would be a hindrance. And Father, we ask that your word would have free course, and as it does, God, I pray that you'd help us to listen With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you take just about 30 seconds and ask the Lord, Lord, will you please speak to my heart specifically this morning? Father, we ask that you'd bless your word now richly in our hearts. We also pray that you would help us to have understanding and hide your word in our hearts. God, when we leave here, we ask that you would give us wisdom to live out the word of God, not only in our hearts, but into our lives. Thank you again for this time. Bless these that have come. Now minister to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. When a person joins the military, most of the time they're looking at the experience as to what they can get out of the military. I remember being in basic training, and I remember uh, Master Sergeant Fox coming in, and he was going to teach us military history, and he had all of these huge binders that he just set on his desk. And he went around the room, and he said, Hey, Airman so-and-so, why did you join my Air Force? Airman so-and-so, why did you join my Air Force? Airman so-and-so, why did you join my Air Force? I began to think like he bought the Air Force or something that was his personally. But but he was taking ownership of it, and uh, and he took pride in what he did, and I, and I, I, uh, I, I understood that and, and uh, appreciated that. And he kept going around and going around and going around. After about the sixth or seventh time, he got so angry. He was just like steaming angry, full of wrath. He took every binder on his desk and he hucked them across the room. People jumping out of the way of the books and stuff. And I thought, oh, soul, what in the world has he has? He had a conniption and I just saw a conniption happen in public. What is going on? And he went on to say, you didn't join my Air Force to go to college, to see the world, or to meet people, or to win friends and influence people. That's not why you joined. You should join my Air Force to defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And it got real quiet. You see, we all went into the experience to try to get something out of it. Some people said, you know, I I want my college paid for, so I'm going to do my time, and then the government's going to pay us all this money, so I can go to whatever college I want to. Most of the time that means just attend college for free, party, and not do anything. And he took offense to that. You see, we saw it as something that we could get out of it. We were looking at it from, well, we want to see the world. We want to go to exotic places. As recruits show up to basic military training, they stand, uh, they all stand in what they think is the position of attention the first night, all dressed in different clothes, all dressed in different kind of clothes, all of them having different kind of haircuts. I was sporting a mullet when I went to basic training, and I was rocking it too. All of them with different motivations for joining, all of them with different personalities. Very quickly, all of that, is going to change. Their paradigms are going to be aligned. Um, everything becomes uniform on the outside, uh, on the outside and on the inside of their life. In the military, you don't. Uh, but when that happens, you don't actually lose your identity, though they're going to break you down and fashion you into someone that is going to serve a purpose. We call it a mission. They don't take our identity away. We're still the same person. We've just learned to discipline ourselves a little differently. 
we've been told what to do, what not to do, and how to do, and why not to do. And we all said, okay. Well, we really didn't feel like we had a choice, but we all said, okay. We found a purpose in the world. And in order to fulfill that purpose, you have to conform to the will and specific demands of another. And on graduation day, the change is amazing and awesome. I mean, when you go to basic training, you see what they call rainbow flights in the Air Force and everybody's standing there and they all have different kind of hair and they haven't, you know, they haven't done anything with their hair, haven't brushed their teeth, haven't changed clothes for like three days. And you can smell them, you can see them a mile away and they're all standing there like they haven't slept and they're like, oh, oh, oh. And then you see someone at the end of basic training, same guys that were in that position just a few weeks before. They're standing there and they're locked up and they're sharp. They all look like little light and dark blue wedges and they all have shiny buckles. It's amazing to see the transformation. But that takes time. They came in one way and they were leaving another way. Children entered the training and young men graduated. And as long as they remain in the armed forces, their training never stops. You know, we all get out of out of tech school and we all arrive at duty station. And the next thing you know, they're like, OK, you're level one. You've got to try to get to level nine. And this is the progression. This is the road that you take. And so you sign off on level three and you're like, yeah, I got my training wheels off. And then you sign on to level four, uh, level five. And then you sign off at level seven and you're like, wow, this is crazy. All of that is training and submission and takes time and training and submission and takes time. They'll continue the process and grow to lead others in the same process later. And when they retire, it's true that they will be nothing like the ones who enlisted years and sometimes decades before. Samuel went looking for his father's donkeys and couldn't find them, so he decided to try his luck with the seer. They called the man the seer, the prophet of God, a seer at that time, which was a man who was given divine knowledge and could say things that would be true and, and, and God would help them. And another name for, it was another name for God's prophet. When he comes to Samuel, he has no idea what lies ahead of him. But very quickly, Samuel informs Saul that God's chosen him to be the king of Israel. Something that Saul was not prepared for, by the way, or cut out to be. Saul knew in his heart, no matter what these people think I look like, I can't do this the way that I am. Let me ask you a question. Well, let me say, make this statement first. In order for Saul to fulfill his duty as king, God would have to change him. Do you remember when you were born again? Remember the day that you got saved? When you bowed before the throne of grace and your heart was bursting with conviction? Did you ever think about the change that God would be working toward in your life at that day? The answer is no. None of us did. None of us, for me, in the fall of 1993, there is no way that I saw this coming. Standing here before you this day, there's no way that I saw how many children I would have or all that I would go through in my life. There's no way that at that moment I could see the man that God wanted to create in me. All I knew was, I am so thankful to be saved and I don't have my sin anymore and I've got a home in heaven and I am so thankful for what God did today. But I had no idea what he wanted to do. Colossians 3 and verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which, uh, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, and in the which ye also walked sometime, walked, past tense, when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off these, anger and wrath and malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on, oh look, the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Did you know that God wants to change the world in a drastic and miraculous way? Did you know that? The world's clamoring for change. We want change. We want to get this person out and this person in. We want these colors. We don't want those colors. We want people to say these words. We want to oust those words. We want to pull these statues down, put new statues up. Everybody wants change. I can tell you emphatically today that God wants change also. He just wants it a different way. You say, well, pastor, how does he want, how, how does he want, what way does God want to change? Since you brought it up, he wants to change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is the only way 
that the world will ever truly change. And all God's people said, Amen. We all understand that. In order to reach the world, He needs you and I to submit first to changes. See, Saul was told by Samuel that he was going to become another man in order to fulfill God's will as king. And I want us to consider that phrase for ourselves this morning. Are you the same person you've always been since you got saved? Are you living the same old life as the old man? Or have you put that old man off because the Spirit of God has come in you and now you're putting on the new man? He's in there, but are you a different person? I want you to take your notes this morning. I want you to notice a couple of compelling truths that uh, about changing our lives for Christ. And I want to be I want to be concise to the point. I want to ask God to help me today. But I want you to think, first of all, just of the agent of change. Samuel is very clear here this morning in verse six in our text. The Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. He he lets the cat out of the bag. Samuel, I know what you're getting ready to go do, though you don't. God knows what he wants you to do. And in order to fulfill your perfect will, God's perfect will in your life, in order for you to do what God's ordained you to do, you're going to have to be another man. And the only way that's going to happen is by the spirit of God. You're not going to be who God wants you to be so that you can do what God wants you to do without the spirit of God. From the beginning of your existence to the moment of your conversion, to this moment in time, the Holy Spirit of God has been involved in your life in some way or another. Now, you need to understand that. Whether it was sending you the truth before you got saved, convicting you of denying the truth before you got saved, or showing your sin at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is God's agent of change. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy has He saved us. Watch by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which was shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. First of all, becoming a child of God is a miracle of a moment. That happens when the Holy Spirit of God regenerates us. That's what we just learned in the Bible. Regeneration, that's the same phrase as being born again. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. I've got to be regened. Why? Because my old genes are dirty. My old genes are full of sin. My old genes have got the old man in them. And so the Holy Spirit of God is the one that comes and does the regening in my life. I am not saved. Listen, you are not saved without the Holy Spirit of God. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his, according to the Bible. Now think about this. When I got saved then, and the Holy Spirit came and lived in me, did He make me the same, or is regeneration something different? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is not the same old creature. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What happens to the old things? They are supposed to pass away. By the grace of God, before God, they have. Amen? They pass away. Behold, all things become new. By the way, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The moment that these four little girls this week got saved, the change began. In fact, there was the miracle of the moment at salvation that changed a lot of things that we perhaps didn't see. The moment a person's born again, everything changes. Their name changes. Uh, no longer are they a child of disobedience. Now they're a child of God. Their position changes. Now they're not joint heirs with Satan. They're joint heirs with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Their destination changes. They're no longer headed for hell, bless God. They're headed for heaven. Their outlook changes. They're not children of the dark anymore. They're not looking at violence the same way. They're children of the light. Their disposition changes. Their hope is no longer a wish. Their hope is bound in the promises of God. How is that possible? By the Holy Ghost of God. That's how it's possible. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 5. Just briefly, keep your one finger or your marker back in 1 Samuel. Go to Romans chapter 5. How many are thankful to be saved this morning? Say amen. How many are thankful the Holy Spirit of God's living in you? Say amen. How many are thankful He's not done working in you? We'll talk about that in a minute. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. 
Now follow the progression. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, follow by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, follow the trend, uh, the, the progression. He's saying, therefore, if any man uh, is uh, justified, he's only justified by faith. You get saved and, and you get a new standing. And he says, now you've got a new standing in God. That changes. But now something else has changed. Now you have access to God. By the Holy Ghost of God, you can go to the throne of grace and you can ask for help and you can ask for power and you can ask for strength and you can ask for forgiveness. Hallelujah. All of that. We have a standing. Then he says, after that, you're going to have tribulations. Now, when you got saved, most of us thought life could not get any better. And then in just a few weeks, in some ways, it gets worse. And then in a few years. Maybe not even that long. In some ways, it gets worse. And then you get old and your health gets worse. And and, and things start to decline around you and think, now, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. But he's saying, no, look, in tribulation, it works experience. And experience tells you that you can always hope in God. You can always trust God. And how is that possible? Look, friend, at the end of verse 5. It says, by the Holy Ghost, the change that is to take place in all of us is by the Holy Ghost. That's salvation. By the way, if you're not saved today, you need to be saved. You need to come to Jesus Christ and say, I am a sinner and I cannot get to heaven without you. But I believe that you died for me and I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you're my only hope. Please save me. And God will save you on his promises. Now, that's the miracle of a moment. But secondly, becoming like Christ is the process of a lifetime. It doesn't end when you get saved. Now, some of us think that, man, I got saved. You mean I got to do something now? Well, really, let's say it this way. Let's just retune our vocabulary. It's not you doing anything. It's God working in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. There's a difference. You see, if I just allow God to do in me, then I don't see it as something that I have to do. I see my life as something that God is doing through me. That means my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm supposed to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are his. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, we know that it's the sweet, precious Holy Spirit of God who patiently guides you and I into the truth. We know that it's the Holy Spirit of God who comes alongside of us and convicts us when we're wrong. Says you shouldn't have said that. We also know that it's the Holy Spirit of God that comes alongside of us when we're hurt. When someone has said or done something, when we've had a loss. My mom died several years ago, and I still, when I hear of someone losing their mom, or we watch a show or something and someone loses a parent, I still weep. And I think, man, I wish I had my mom. I wish she could see my grandbabies. I wish, I wish the last time that I saw her wasn't when she was about to die a few weeks later. There's a lot of things like that 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 we go through. And and yet it's the Holy Spirit that comes along and says, wait a minute, you're going to see her again. You get to hold her again. She's not in pain now. She can walk around. She's eating. She's laughing. There's no more tears. That's the comfort. It's the Holy Spirit of God that comforts and consoles us all the while. He continues to fashion us into the image of Jesus Christ. Why? To prove God's will. What did Jesus do? Did he come to destroy the law? No, he came to what? What's the Bible word? Fulfill the law. God doesn't conform me into his image to do my will. He conforms me to his image to do the father's will. I've been predestined to become like Christ. Why? Because in my predestined path to be more like Jesus Christ, he takes all of the mess ups and all of the tribulations and all of the sorrow and all of the pain. And he works them all out together for good. That's 
what God wants to do through you, not to you. You see the difference? Now, the Bible says in John 16, this is how it happens. Howbeit, when the spirit of truth of God has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it to you. Now look, the fact of the matter is, God may never tell me why I've gone through something. But he will always tell me the truth as to how to go through it. He will always say, now look, I'm going to show you what's to come. If you submit yourself to me, you get peace. You submit yourself to me, you get joy. You submit yourself to me, you gain experience. And the next time you go through something, you will always have hope. You see, becoming like Christ isn't easy. And he certainly doesn't happen in a moment. But it does happen. And if it does happen, it's only going to happen through the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, listen, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. God's desire for you is to walk in the spirit. Are you walking in the spirit or are you walking in the flesh? Have you decided that your life is your own? I'm going to take it on this path. Thanks, God, for saving me. Peace out. No? You're not doing that? Because that's the way the flesh. Lord, I'm so grateful that I have a net to catch me just before the bowels of hell devour me. I'm so thankful, Lord, that, that I have a way and you're the way. Love you. Now, I'm going to do my own thing for the rest of my life. And God says, well, I have a problem with that because you're not yours. I have a guide that lives inside of you that you're quenching, that you're grieving. And I don't see my son in you when you're like, see you later. I only see my son when you're like, what must I do? I only see my son when you say things like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. The agent of change is the Holy Spirit. Samuel said, Saul, God's got big plans for you. But before you can fulfill them, you need to become another man. Uh, I, I can't use you like you are. So when the spirit of God comes on you, then you'll be that man. Now, by the way, it's super amazing in the times. And by the way, God doesn't work like this anymore. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews one. But in this time, isn't it cool that, that Samuel just didn't say, OK, you're going to be God's man. You're going to be another man when the spirit of God comes upon you. See you later. And the whole time Samuel's walking home is like, I wonder what that means. I wonder what that means. I wonder what that means. No. Samuel goes, verse 1, here's what's going to happen. Verse 2, um, by the way, there's going to be three specific signs, and they're going to be kind of amazing. And they all happen. The Bible says in verse 9, and all those signs came to pass that day. Can you imagine Samuel's shock when they all actually happened? Can you imagine? The first thing, he comes and... There's two men that say, hey, by the way, your dad's donkeys are found. He's like, holy rolling wheels is happening, just like Samuel said. Next thing you know, he comes up and the the, uh, the prophets meet him. Next thing you know, he's prophesying. He never prophesied in his whole life. Can you imagine? Talk about an out-of-body experience. How cool is that? The agent of change. So Samuel tells him, here's what's going to happen. God's going to have to make you another man. He's going to do it by the Spirit of God. And if we're going to be changed into another man, the man Christ Jesus, it's only going to happen by the Spirit of God. Now let's look secondly at the aspects of change. Right? The aspects of change. And then we're done. Verse 7. And let it be when these signs are come, um, come unto thee that thou, as, uh, that, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And he tells them all of that. Now verse 9 and it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And those signs came to pass that day. Now, that's just kind of a summary statement. But watch this. Verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him 
And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came, it came to pass when all that knew him before saw, uh, saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that has come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And one of the same place answered and said, But who's their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the, prophet, uh, among the prophets? And when he made an end of prophesying, he came to the high place. And Saul's uncle said unto him and to his servant, Whither went ye? The fact of the matter is, how the change is described in the Bible is an exact way that it should be described in us. Okay? The change that he describes here is the same way that the change is described throughout Scripture. And I want you to see it. First of all, we see a change of heart. It says, when it came to pass that God gave him another heart. It's interesting to me how many times things like this are phrased over in the world, in the word of God. Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. You, you know this innately, you know this. Every good and lasting thing that God does begins with a change of heart. Everything. Everything that is good and lasting always begins with a change of heart. We say things like, and here's how we know this, we say things like, put your heart into it. You've you, you got to want it in your heart. We say things like, love her with all your heart. We say things like, that breaks my heart. As beings, we know that our heart is the seat of our emotions and of who we truly are. We know that. We know how important what happens on the inside of us, the, the things that really take root there matter. That, that's why when God saves a person, it begins in the heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, oh, watch, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. It always begins in the heart. You can't change your clothes, change your name, change your address, change all of your bad habits. You can even, I'm sorry, you can change all of those things. You can even change how you spend your money and change your lifestyle. But salvation and being another man begins in the heart. I could go through all the outward confirmation of this is what it looks like to be saved and be lost. This is not salvation. Being in this place is not salvation. Paying money is not salvation. Not lying or not doing other things is not salvation. Salvation begins with Christ and the heart. Amen. We know that. And change in our life begins in the same place, in the heart. Galatians 6 and verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision outward availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. What, what really means something to God? When I become different on the inside. When I have said, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. And know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. When I look inside and I see something wrong in my heart. And God says, yes, that's what I see. And I see more behind that and more behind that and more down under that. And we say, I see it too, God. That's when change takes place. When the Holy Spirit of God gets down inside the heart and my heart is cleansed. My heart has found hope again. My heart has found the joy of thy salvation. Just read Psalm 51. And that's when lasting true change takes place. So it begins with a change of heart. But secondly, notice what it leads to. It always, a change of heart always leads to a change of lifestyle. Why? That's evidence. Okay, remember, with the heart man believeth and with the mouth confession is made known to salvation. God had never intended us to stay, listen, private Christians. He never intended us to be undercover Christians. We're not supposed to go around trying to blend in with the bad guys to try to get to the bad guys. No. We were one of the bad guys. That's on the losing team. And we all got saved and we were put on the winning team. And we got the name of Christ the best guy. And now we're not supposed to be like that. The Spirit of God came upon Saul in power and he prophesied just like Samuel told him. 
as Saul was entering the city of Gibeah, the procession of prophets met him as he predicted, and, and, and immediately he joined them. You see that? He was the shepherd, now he's a prophet. This is what I was doing, this is what I did do. The Spirit of God came on me, I have a changed heart, now this is what I do. What does this tell us? This was the testimony of his transformation, of a changed heart. People walking by, either standing or, 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 or around him, noted the change. We know Saul. He's the son of Kish. We've watched him grow up. We know his habits. We know what he talks like. We know where he goes. We know his best restaurant. We know his friends. And we've never seen this. This is new. This is different. Let's use a different word. This is a little peculiar. I've never seen Saul like this before. He's never said anything about God before. He's never done anything like this before. Saul began this walk in the spirit to begin to change. And they begin to question what exactly happened to him. Had he now become a disciple? Had he now become one of the prophets? One man who lived in the city asked who the father, the leader of the prophets, who's the father? He wondered who could bring about such a transformation. A transformation it must have been his dad. Powerful change. The change in this promising young man's life was so dramatic that the question became a proverb. Did you read that? It became a proverb, a standing statement in the land. Is Saul among the prophets? It was so, it was so dramatic. And he was so enthusiastic about it, it became a proverb. Now think about that. What kind of a proverb has your life become? Saul's was so drastic that now he speaks on behalf of God. Wow. Talk about an epitaph. Kind of wonder, Scott, if we went back to Israel and we looked at Saul's grave, if it would say, is, is, is Saul a prophet? <laughs> I mean, it was that powerful. You see, there was an outward change that puzzled the people who knew Saul. His words and practices were different than they were before. You could say that he was a completely different man. What happened? The Spirit of God got a hold of his heart. Changed him completely. That change comes when we set aside our adult reasoning. When we set aside all of our rationale. And embrace the Holy Spirit of God that guides us into changing our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. Matthew 18.3, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, listen, except you be converted, that word means changed. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, some of us are so grown up, we, are not allowed, we can't change anymore. We say things like this, you can't teach an old dog. No. Actually, by the Spirit of God, you can it turns out you can be different. It turns out that you can change, no matter what your age is. And unless you're willing to revert back to childhood in your faith, you will never be useful in God's economy. Well, I know better. Uh, 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 this are the plans that I have, and this is my direction, and all this kind of stuff. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. When you got saved, you were so happy to be a little kid. You were so happy to come to Christ and say, you mean all I need to know, God, is that I'm a sinner that you're not a sinner, that you're holy and I'm unholy and the only way I can be with you is through Jesus Christ, I believe. That's all it took, yeah. And that same belief is how you got into the baptistry. And then sometime after that, you just stopped believing that way. You started seeing the world again through the eyes of the world instead of the eyes of a child. And life got really complicated. It just, we just got, we got so burdened down that we, we just, there's just no way that this is this simple. Yeah, it is, it's that simple. Behold, O man, I've showed thee what thou must do. Walk humbly before God. Love mercy. Do right. Well, that's pretty simple. This is what I require. Luke 22, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, listen, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that thy faith fail not. Here's the words again. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now watch this. This is key. And then we're done. Like Peter, Saul was looking at his life through a telescope. I'm in my VBS mood, so everybody human me. Everybody go like this. Okay? I almost passed out the toilet paper in that said things, but I thought probably not. Everybody go like this. Can you do it? Can you do it? Mike, come on. Do it, man. Okay, here we go. You can only see so much like this. 
I look at Scott. I can see Bob and Scott. I can, I can, is that? Yeah, it's Ramirez. That's Juan. That's all I can see. I can't see Linda just doing that. That. Why? Because I'm looking specifically in a very narrow way. Right? In a specific field of view. Really, Saul and Peter, whom the verse that Jesus gave in Luke 22, was only looking at life for his own life. Is that what we do? We kind of look at our life as our own and whatever just affects me. By the way, that's why God said you need to consider other better than yourself. Okay, so so we get so narrow minded. And Saul was just thinking about one thing. I just need to find the donkey. Saul, I don't care about this help. But here's the great thing. God always sees something different. He sees something much bigger than just a single life. In changing a lost sinner into a born-again follower of Christ and a new creature, God sees a much bigger picture. He sees the ones who see his new creature. I'll say that again. In changing a lost sinner into a born-again follower of Christ, a new creature, God sees a much bigger picture. He sees the ones who see the new creature. He wants to give those who have no hope, hope. He wants to give those who don't have love, love. He wants to give those who don't have mercy and are living in sin mercy. He wants to give them grace so bad. But he doesn't cause people to prophesy. He doesn't cause signs and wonders anymore. All of those things are gone. What does he use now? You. Because you became the temple of Of the Holy Ghost. When you got saved. That agent of change. That changed you. That same Holy Spirit that came upon Saul. That gave him another heart. That made him another man. That made his life something different. That his life became a tagline. Is Saul among the prophets? That same Holy Spirit. That inspired the word of God. Lives in you. As a child of the living God. That same change, by the way, the same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ lives in us. Yeah, God wants to change the world and he wants to do it through the gospel of Christ, but he doesn't do it the same way he did it in Samuel's day. He does it through us. He wants to give them his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He wants to impart his truth and uncover the lies of Satan. And his plan all along has been to use you in your world every day. He wants you to shine your light in your world every day. He doesn't see just your schedule. I know that's kind of mind-boggling. He actually cares about more people than just me. He sees the people who are revolving around your schedule. He sees the people in charge of your schedule. He sees the people watching your schedule. He sees the people that you sit down at the dinner table with every night. He sees the people who live next door to you. He sees the people that you go to church with. He sees your customers. He sees the people that you serve. He sees all of them. And you know what he wants? I want to change that person's life. I want them to be new people. I want them to have what you have. So look like another man for a different. For a change. Philippians 2. Can you turn there just for a moment? And we're done, I promise. I know I said that 15 minutes ago. but Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. This verse and the next verse should be highlighted For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I want you to notice the next verse. You talk about something that just stabs me every time I read it. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Okay, look up here for a minute. We're going to read a couple of the verses. Is it, you ever read the Bible and just get amazed? At what it says when it says it. 
Paul, Paul could have written a variety of things to this church. But when he talked about God working in them, the first thing that he said was going to be a result of that, he said, don't complain. Can I just confess to you, I think I'm going to buy me a shirt that says, I am the number one complainer in all of the world. You ever complain? I complain about the red light. I complain about the guy in front of me when it's green. I complain about the speed of the people driving around me. I complain about the lines. I complain about the temperature in the room. I complain about the opposite temperature in the room. I complain about so much in my life. And none of it has to do with what God's working in me. None of it. God says, that's not me. That's you. That's the old man. You, you, you did look in the scripture. You search the scriptures and find where Jesus complained. The last thing I remember about Jesus' life was that he hung on a cross. And he didn't say a word. The only words that he said were words to his father and about people around him. Never complained. He was scourged and beaten and bruised beyond recognition. And he opened not his mouth. But as a lamb to the slaughter, he was led. Isn't that amazing? Notice what it says. Do all things. It doesn't say if you're a cop, do those things without complaining. Every, every other occupation but police officers get to have to not complain. Cops can complain. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say if you're in IT or if you're in finance. If you're in finance, you should be complaining. Or if you're closing the end of the month, you should be complaining. Right? doesn't say that. It doesn't say if you're a plumber, you have the God-given right. It doesn't say, Matt, if you're a mechanic, they're the only ones because they, ah! that's the only ones that get to complain. That's not what it says. It says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. And here's why. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Is it hard work? Yes, it's hard work. But if I've got the Spirit of God, all it takes is saying no to this old flesh and to the old man and saying yes to the new. See, is it that simple? Apparently. So my question is this, are you yielding to God's plan to make sure that you're not the same person that he saved? Will you let him change you into another man? Will you just allow the Holy Spirit of God to have what's rightfully his and surrender it all today? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and I thank you for how clear and specific it is, Lord, on these matters. And it's so convicting to me. Oh, God, it's so convicting to me. And, and I, I'm so thankful for the truth. And God, it, it pierces and man. To the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. So much is said in the Word of God about our heart, and God, today I pray that all of them are open to you. We're all listening to your precious spirit, that you're all confirming the truths that have come from you today and not from me. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live that truth. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask Jenna to begin to play. And as she plays this morning, the beauty is in the song, I Surrender. What part of your life haven't you surrendered to God? What part of your life are you still keeping back from God's plans? I know, I know. Look, if anybody in this room knows about having to surrender your life's plans to God's life's plans, you've been listening to him for the last hour. It's hard. The hardest thing that I'll ever do in my life is get over myself. But as I stand here this morning, I'm telling you that the best thing that I've ever done in my life is gotten over myself. And ladies and gentlemen, I have to do that every day. God asks us to surrender ourselves every day. Maybe you're here, nobody looking around, and you say, Pastor Haynes, I'm not saved. I don't know. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody like that? 
All right. Perhaps the Holy Spirit spoken to you this morning about who are you really? Are you the same old man? Are you another man all completely different? Are you becoming like Christ? That's the other man. Could I encourage you? I'm going to pray for you in a minute. Could I encourage you to ask the Lord the aspects of your life that need to become more like Christ so that others could see the word of life in you? What what kind of impact is God making on the people around you? What kind of impact does he want to make? So we get so telescoped in our life that we think that the message is just about my life and and how I can make it more convenient, and how it can become more easy. And, and, and God never promised that. Romans 5 says, no, the progression is not easy. The progression is, it gets harder. But the good thing is I have the Holy Spirit of God in me. How many would say, Pastor, the Holy Spirit spoke to me specifically this morning. Would you pray for me as I deal with the Lord? Here's my hand. Would you just pray for me? Anybody like that? Holy Spirit spoke to me specifically. Pray for me this morning. Anybody else? I see those hands. You can put them down. Anybody else? I didn't lift my hand. Here it is. Holy Spirit of God spoke to me specifically about my life this morning. Pray for me. Anybody like that? Just slip up your hand. I didn't slip it up before. I see those. You can put those down. Thank you so much for being honest. Anybody else? Would you stand with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, we commend the service to you. We commend your truth in us to you. We commit our lives to you. God, I pray this week that each and every day as we look ourselves in the mirror, Lord, that we would Remember to ask you, Lord, will you make me into another man today, the man Christ Jesus? God, I pray that we would all specifically allow the work of God to go on in us for your goodwill and pleasure. And Lord, if there's one thing I think we can all tangibly walk away with today, it would be to say, Lord, will you help me not to complain? Not to complain about my life, my marriage, my children, my home, my debt. Not to complain about my church, my country, the city, politics. Lord, the complaining is what we do. We've been taught to do it. We've allowed ourselves to become what you never intended us to be. It's infiltrated our lives. And the only thing that you want to see in us is Christ. May he be seen today and this week. Thank you again for your mercy and long-suffering. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.